What a beautiful time of worship. So glad that you're here this morning. Looking forward to a great day together. I do want to say if you're a guest, I'm really glad you're here today. This is a great day for you to be here. A fun day, a little bit of a different day. Lord willing, our normal habit here is to preach through books of the Bible. So Lord willing, next Sunday, I'll begin the book of Hebrews where we'll be, I don't know, maybe the rest of the year, looking forward to just kind of taking a slow walk through that book, glorious book about the beauty and greatness of Jesus. So look forward to that next week. I also want to say to you, if you're a guest, uh, we've got some new boxes at the back that are for offering and guest cards and prayer cards. Just take some time to do that. Connect with us. Let us know, any of you, how we can pray for you. We love to do that. I said this is a bit of an unusual morning because we've called this 100 Sunday. Two reasons for that. First of all, is it was our desire to have 100% of our members participating today, whether here in the tabernacle or online. And the second reason is because, and you'll find that out at the end of the sermon, all right? So take your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter four. I can't tell you now, I've got to leave a little suspense, uh, but exciting day, turn to Luke chapter four. I love biographies. Many of you know that about me. I read uh, at least one, maybe two every year. One of the things I've learned as I read biographies is that every work of God has begun with a burden. Every great work of God begins with a burden. Not the kind of burden that God wants to remove, but the kind of burden that God gives. It was a burden that led Hudson Taylor not only to leave his home and family and everything and go to China, but once he was there to see that all the missionaries were on the coast, it was a burden that led him to do something no one had ever done before, and that is to completely take upon himself the Chinese dress, immerse himself in the culture, and go inland to reach the hardest reach people who've never heard the name of Jesus. It was a burden that led Adoniram Judson to be the first Protestant missionary, significant one ever sent out, from the United States to go to one of the darkest, most difficult places, knowing no one, to go to Burma and reach those people who have never heard the gospel. It was a burden that led Amy Carmichael, a single female missionary, to move to India and to serve for 55 years, listen, without ever taking a furlough or a break, in order to save young girls who had been sold into slavery by their parents. Every great work of God has begun with a burden, a longing, a desire, a heaviness to see something happen, a desire that God puts in our hearts. This morning, I come to you just really encouraged by what God's doing in our church, Uh, honestly, very hopeful about the days ahead. I don't know if I've ever been more hopeful and encouraged and excited about what God is doing and what I believe God is going to do. God continues to bring new people to our church, which I believe is a sign that God is gonna call us out to do even more for his kingdom. I'm so excited. But I also come to you this morning with a burden, a heaviness, a desire that is shared by all of our staff, something we've been talking about a lot. It's a burden for us not only to reach the great unreached peoples of the world, to make sure every nation, tongue, and tribe hears the name of Jesus, and we're involved in that in many different ways, to see the Naba people of Nepal that we're engaged with, to know the name of Jesus, to see a church planted there, to see a great work in that remote place that spreads to the ends of the earth to see the over 120 million Japanese who have never heard the name of Jesus where we're engaged 
to know Jesus and to celebrate him and see a great church planting movement in Japan. All of those things are a burden. But more specifically this morning, I'm burdened that those baptismal waters right there be stirred every single Sunday. That there never be a Sunday at this church where in both services, we're not seeing someone show that they've given their life to Jesus Christ. And not just because they've come to a service, which happens. We had a man last week who was baptized in the first service because he came to Prince, invited, gave his life to Christ. And I love that. Happens all of the time. Praise God for that. But I don't want them there just because they heard me preach and they came into this room, but because you went and got them and they're there because you led them to Christ. The burden is not just that we be a church that's on mission, but we be individual members, every single one of us, leading people to trust and follow Christ. Our mission is not just our mission, it's your mission and it's my mission. It's the one that's been given to every one of us that we individually be engaged in the lives of people who don't know Christ in order to see them come to know that which is the greatest treasure in all of the earth. One of the reasons this is such a burden for me is because when you pastor a church like Prince, which is large and busy, and we have all these related ministries like school and everything else, it doesn't take you very long to realize that it would be possible for me to spend my entire ministry keeping this thing going. And to be honest with you, everyone applauding as we build new buildings and more people come to join our church from other churches, and it seems like we're doing great, but it's possible to do all of that and at the end realized we've built a great church it just didn't lead a lot of lost people to Christ. That's a real temptation. And so we're burdened with that, that how can we move beyond that into getting every one of us engaged in the mission of God? And we think a lot about that. I don't know of any pastor that, that that's probably not their greatest burden. But we've been thinking about it now more than we ever have before. And here's the reason is because over the last year, what we've realized is our primary mode of ministry and missions we've been unable to do. What we do really well here at Prince is what we could call top-down ministry, meaning we plan an event, we ask you to come with us and participate, and you do it. And I've never known a church better at that than you are. So we say we're doing Prince Cares. We're going all over the city. We need you to come and just show up and we'll tell you what to do and we'll go out into the city and you show up. We say we need to raise money for missions and so we set a $400,000 goal and you give 650,000. We say we need food for the food bank and you bring so many cans we don't even know how to transport them back to the food bank. We say we need gift cards for teachers and first responders. All of this we've done. And you, you just drop by and bring hundreds of gift cards. There's never a time that we ask you to participate in which you don't. But over the last year, all of those types of ministry we've been unable to do. So all of a sudden we found ourselves last year thinking, listen, we grow by Sunday morning and we grow with Wednesday night and we grow with all of these type of ministries and then we, we can't do them. Staff member say to me about six months ago, said, listen, I'm not sure there's ever been a time in our lifetime in which people are more lonely and isolated and hurting and in need. But we're not doing anything. I mean, we're doing this and this is great. We almost felt paralyzed by our inability to do what we've always done. And the truth is, is during this moment 
One of the things that we've prayed a lot as a staff is, God, we want to see what you want us to see. If you want to change anything, if you want to do anything different, God, show us a better way, a more effective way, a more biblical way. And I think the fact that all of the things we used to do have been stripped away with us is a really good gift from the Lord. Because it's forcing us to think maybe in a little more biblical way. A way in which we say, listen, instead of a top-down approach, what if we have an every-member approach where we're just equipping you to go do what God has called us to do, every single one of us realizing we can't depend on the big events. We need every single member engaged in what God is doing. And that's exactly what we've been praying. We've been praying that God would give us wisdom to know how every single one of us would be engaged over the next year, two years, that there would be someone in that baptismal on a Sunday morning where we stand and applaud because you started a relationship with them and saw them come to Christ. The question is, what do we do with that? Like, how would that look? How could, we, how could we ever do that? We believe the burden is from the Lord. I don't think the devil put that burden in our heart. It's from the Lord, but, but, but what would that look like? Well, we say all the time here that our mission at Prince is simple. We wanna lead people to trust and follow Jesus. So whether it's a lost person, our goal for a lost person is to lead them to trust and follow Jesus. If you've been a believer for 50 years, you know what our mission is? To lead you to keep trusting and following Jesus. Every day, more and more, keep trusting, keep following. And we say that our method of doing that is this. We want to equip our people to live a life of worship, your personal relationship with God, a life in community, meaning your relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and a life on mission. Those are the three areas of your life that need to be growing and effective in order for you to trust and follow Jesus. That last one is what we're talking about this morning, a life on mission. And the way we define that is this. We say that a life on mission is declaring and displaying the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Declaring and displaying the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Now we like that phrase supremacy because what we mean by that is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. He is the king of kings. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He is the ruler, sustainer over all things. He is supreme in power. He is supreme in rank. There is nothing greater than Jesus. But even beyond that, what we want people to know is that they were created for Jesus Christ. They were created in a life in Jesus Christ. So our message is not simply Jesus is the Lord and you better submit to him, which is part of the message. The message is also this. You will never find anything better in all of life than Jesus Christ. Like we're here to testify. We're here to testify that Jesus is good. And although the the path is not an easy one and it demands some sacrifice, you will find that when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he meant it. There is no truth, there is no way, there is no life outside of Jesus Christ. That's what we want everybody to know. And we get them to know that by both displaying it and declaring it. By helping people see it and helping people hear it. Both of those aspects are extremely important. And that's where we get this morning to Luke chapter four. In Luke chapter four, we see the balance that Jesus had in his life of both declaring and displaying. Jesus did this. So Jesus came to proclaim the good news. He also came to display the good news. If you're there in Luke chapter four, say amen. Look, starting in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up as was his custom. 
He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Jesus did something incredible here. This was the synagogue he grew up in. Everyone knew him. He was there at church. It says it was his habit to be there. He walked in. It was his time to read. They handed him the scroll. He opened up Isaiah. He read this and then said this. Isaiah was talking about me. That's, you want to stir things up. As a matter of fact, right after this, they tried to run him out of town and kill him because he said that. It says they were enraged by what he said, but he was right. Isaiah was prophesying about him. And he says, here's the anointing God has put on my life. Anointing means the empowerment of the spirit. The timing is significant. Jesus just came out of his baptism where the spirit of God came upon him. And he said, the reason God has filled me with the spirit is to do this. What? Well, to give good news to the poor. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovery the sight of the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And what people ask when they read that is, well, is that talking spiritually or physically? And the answer is both. So Jesus went to the spiritually oppressed and he said, there is deliverance from you and healing and freedom in Jesus Christ. He went to the spiritual poor, those who were poor of spirit. And he said, listen, there is an abundance of grace and kindness and love in Jesus Christ. He went to the spiritual captives and he said, you don't have to be that way anymore. Jesus wants to set you free. He went to the spiritually blind and he said, God wants to open your eyes and help you to see the glory of Jesus Christ himself. But you know, it was also physical. Jesus didn't just walk up to a blind man and said, do you want to see? And he says, yes. Jesus said, well, I'm just, I'm just talking spiritually here. No, he healed a blind man. He didn't just go to a leper and he says, do, do you want to be free from this? And, Jesus, and they say, yes. And Jesus says, well, we'll know that the Lord loves you. No, he touched him. He touched him. Like instead of backing up and walking on the side of the road, he, he put his hand upon him. He went to the poor, the oppressed, and he proclaimed the gospel and then met their needs. And the reason he did this is because he was committed to both preaching, declaring, and displaying the gospel. So Jesus left that moment there in Luke 4, and he went on throughout the chapter, and he went to preach. He continued to proclaim in the tabernacle there. He then goes into Capernaum, and he was teaching them, it says in verse 31, in the Sabbath. It then says in verse 42, it was day and he departed, went into a desolate place. The people sought him and came to him. They were trying to keep him from leaving, verse 43. But Jesus says, no, I gotta preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Jesus came preaching. And that's important because no one comes to Christ without hearing the good news of the gospel, amen? Everyone has to hear that they're a sinner separated from God that they have rebelled against God because they've walked away from him. But God in his grace has pursued us and he pursued us with his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and lived the life that God demanded we live, but never could. And Jesus died the death that we deserve. And he did that 
so that if we will place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our savior and Lord, if we choose to trust and follow him, what God does is this, is he gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, takes our sin and puts it on Jesus, and he dies for us so that we can live. Everyone's gotta believe that message. There is no life without just not only knowing the facts, but stepping into the reality of this and saying, I must choose to trust and follow Jesus Christ alone as my savior. Jesus came to proclaim that. But everywhere he went, he also displayed it. He showed it everywhere he went. So think about this. He comes out of the synagogue in chapter four, and then what does he do? Well, he goes in and he cleans a man with an unclean demon. He heals him and delivers him. Look at verse 38. He arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. He just got done preaching, delivering. Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. They appeared to him on her behalf. He stood over her and he rebuked the fever. It left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. And look at this, verse 40. When the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various disease brought them to him. So word spreads. He's tired. He's had a long day. He's been preaching all day. They begin to bring people to him and bring them outside of the house. Look at this. He laid hands on every one of them and he healed them. The demons came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them, would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And verse 42 tells us he did that all night. All night, touching them, healing them. Why? Because it was a display of the gospel. See, all throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see this. Jesus preaches and then he displays. He declares and he displays. So when Jesus touches a leper, what he's saying to them without saying anything is, we've got a God who's not afraid of you. He's not scared of you. He doesn't view you as an outcast. As a matter of fact, he's drawing you in and saying he loves you and he also wants to touch you. When Jesus steps in to a demon-possessed man, he says, there is a God who wants to deliver you from that and make you whole and bring you freedom. He casts out the demon. The man walks in freedom. You ever noticed how many times Jesus is eating in the gospels? It's a lot. One of the little words it uses a lot, it says Jesus reclined and ate. So Jesus could have just gotten something quick to eat, but instead he looks up in a tree and says, Zacchaeus, I'm gonna eat at your house today. To which Zacchaeus says, well, I didn't invite you. And Jesus said, that's okay, I'm coming. Why, when he could get something quick to eat and keep preaching, did he go to Zacchaeus' house? And there it says, he reclined with Zacchaeus, meaning he didn't come for a quick meal, he wanted to stay. Why? Because in so doing, he was showing Zacchaeus something about himself. He was displaying to Zacchaeus that we will feast in eternity with the Lord. That our God wants to eat with us and build a relationship with us. So when Jesus is a friend of sinners, meaning he doesn't just proclaim the good news, he actually builds relationship with sinners and he eats with the tax collectors and sinners. What's he doing? He's saying, listen, I don't know how far away you are this morning, but there's a God who loves sinners. And if you're the worst possible sinner, you qualify for everything God has to offer. And he wants to eat with you. And so where you may not feel comfortable at sometimes coming to church, just know this, in the kingdom, our God is a friend of sinners. And the way that was known is not just because Jesus told it, but because he showed it in everything he did. He declared and he displayed. So what that means is this, is that when we choose to share a meal with someone, we're actually giving a little picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
When we choose to become a friend of a sinner, of someone who might feel as if God has no desire for them, when you engage in a friendship there, you know what you're doing? You're, you're displaying the gospel. When you step into someone's hurt in a messy situation and you say, I wanna get right in the middle of this, what are you doing? You're displaying the kind heart of God. When you listen and when you care, all of those things are displays of the kingdom. There's a pastor and church planner named Jeff Vanderstelt. He talks about this idea of gospel metaphors. Listen to this. A metaphor is a way to take something maybe abstract and make it be seen a little more clearly. So you use a metaphor to explain something that might be difficult. He says, what gospel metaphors are this? You know that Jesus is a friend of sinners, but to a sinner, that seems abstract. So how is it that they can come to understand Jesus is a friend of sinners? Well, that's when you act it out. It's a gospel metaphor. So it's easy to say, Jesus is a friend of sinners. It's another thing for them to see that when you become of a friend of a sinner. A gospel metaphor is knowing that God just wants to be with us. And so you invite someone into your home, you take some time to eat with them. Why? Because you're displaying the gospel. You think about everything Jesus is. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Well, then give someone some counsel. Jesus is a giver. He cares. He's a lover. He's a helper. He's an advocate. He's a friend. All of those things. Well, a gospel metaphor is when you choose to take some character of the Lord and act it out so that in doing so, you take some abstract concept and you let them see it in real life, in flesh and blood. This is why 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. We are ambassadors for Christ. It is as if God is making his appeal through us. Do you know how God makes himself known? You. How do people know that he's good and caring and a giver and, and a friend because of you? That's the way. God is making his appeal. He has sent us as his ambassadors, not just to declare a message, but to display the goodness and love and kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants people to see it and to hear it. The truth is, this is, this is what we want. This is what we want from every member, to be living in such a purposeful way where they're always thinking about, how can I give a little picture of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And listen to me. I think this is what most of you want too. I think most of you, deep in your soul, long to be used by God. I think you're terrified of it. I think you don't know how it works. And I think you're used to a pastor coming up and making you feel guilty for not doing it. But I think deep in the soul of most believers, there's some desire to say, man, it would be awesome if my neighbor was up there and got baptized and I led him to Christ. That'd be incredible. Like, I think most of you want to be used by God. You want to see God do something incredible in your life. And so what we've been thinking about, well, well how, does, how does that work? How can we do that? And the verse the Lord keeps bringing to our mind is Hebrews 10, 24. Write that verse down, Hebrews 10, 24. Here's what it says. It says, let us, speaking to all of us as a church body, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Let's think about that. That word consider doesn't mean a passing idea. You know, how we often use the word consider is someone asks us to do something and we say, well, let me consider that, which is a way to get them off of our back and we won't think about it again. Okay, I'll consider that. That's not what it means in Hebrews. And we're gonna talk about this a lot because it's a word that's used often. 
To consider means to give careful thought and attention to something, to wrestle with something, like to really put some thought and energy into how can this work out. It says, let all of us consider, think, ponder how we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now, now we're hearing a lot these days about stimulus, right? Now, we're not gonna debate the economics or whether it works or not. That's not, it's just an illustration, all right? So don't, I need emails. The idea behind this, the idea of stimulating is that we want to boost something. We want to encourage something. We want to increase some activity. So the government's goal is, we wanna put money back into your hands so you spend it, okay? And then in doing so, it helps small businesses and it boosts the economy and it gets things moving. So they're trying to stimulate. Well, what this says is, we want to do something to stimulate people to good deeds, to love. And, and what's amazing about this verse is it says, it's our responsibility to put serious thought into how we can increase and encourage your investment in the kingdom of God, your being on mission with God. This is something we're supposed to think about. So that's exactly what we've been doing. And so our staff has been asking the question, God, how can we stimulate the growth of the kingdom? How can we stimulate every member on mission with God? And we've been talking about this a lot. One of the things heavy on us is just the amount of needs right now. So many people hurting, lonely, isolated as we talked about, and, and that's heavy and so, okay, let's put some thought. Let's be careful about this. How can we stimulate everyone to do more for the kingdom? And then we just started to throw out ideas. And I remember Tim Luke saying, our executive pastor that uh, when he was diagnosed with COVID about four or five months ago, uh, that night, uh, someone knocked on his door and it was a staff member, Scott Moody. It wasn't me. I actually never had the thought to do this for him. And he was standing there with soup. I never thought about bringing Tim soup. It's terrible. Here's his soup. And Tim kind of gets emotional as he talks about the fact that like, what an amazing thing that someone made soup for me and brought it to my house and we, we didn't really need anything, but that was like the most amazing gesture and it really meant something to him. So this is how dumb your staff can be. We started talking about, well, how can we get soup to people? There's the idea. Let's get soup to everyone. Like it's soup packets. And we thought, well, we're handling it and there's COVID stuff. We actually spent like 20 minutes on the soup idea. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it wasn't until this week as I started to think back, I realized how dumb that was. But we did it and we, we thought about it. And then we started thinking, man, how has God blessed us as a church? And the first thing that came up is God's just really blessed us financially. Like we had an incredible December with a missions offering. We're over budget. So someone had the idea, what if we took like $70,000 and created a fund and anybody that needed help during this time that could come and get it. But then there's some problems with that. And we begin to discuss that and other ideas. And here's what hit us all of a sudden. Every idea we came up with was another top-down idea. Every idea, well, let's have a bunch of money. Anybody needs it can come to us and get us. It, it acts like you can't do anything. We've got to do it all. Every idea. And then the bigger thing that we realized is this. There's so many people in need, so many people hurting and isolated and lonely. We don't know them. You know them. You may not know them, but they live next to you. They live down the street from you. They work with you. You may not see it. You may not be able to call their name, but I guarantee you there is someone in your sphere of influence that desperately needs a gospel metaphor. That desperately needs a little picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the question is, well, how can we empower you to be doing that? 
How can we get you engaged in their lives thinking about this and asking God to open doors? And so then we thought, well, if we took this money that we wanted to, to put for some mission fund and we did something different to it, what could we do to help stimulate you into love and good deeds? Here's what we decided. Instead of taking $70,000 and saying, if anybody needs it, they can come to the church and get it, we're giving it to you. We're giving it to you. So you say, well, why do we have 100 Sunday? Well, we wanted 100% participation and also because before you leave today, you're gonna get an envelope with a $100 bill in it. Every family, every single, every college student, you're gonna get $100. And you say, well, that, yeah, it's great. It's not much. Like, I don't know what I can do with $100. Let me tell you something. The wealthiest man in this county or in Clark County doesn't need $100, but imagine how it would touch their soul if you used that $100 for some act of grace and kindness and gospel metaphor in their life that no one has ever done because no one thinks they need anything. You see, $100, not given, but $100 used can have a massive impact on the people around you. So here's what we're asking you to do. On this envelope that you're gonna get here in a little bit, it says four things we're asking you to do. The first one is this, we're asking you to pray. <laughs> and here's the reason. We want you to see God do something incredible in your life. Like that's part of the motive. Like what if you saw God work? So we want you to pray, God, I'm, I'm scared of this. I don't know what to do. Like this is not me. Show me what to do. We're asking you to pray. Next, we're asking you to look. You see, here's the thing. One of the reasons we're doing this is because we don't just want to st stimulate ministry. We want to stimulate your eyes by giving you this. We're forcing you to say, God, is there somebody around me that needs some help? You're going to need to ask questions and look a little bit different. God, who needs something from me? How, how can I engage in someone's life? We're asking you to start looking, to look in your spheres of influence, in your neighborhood, on your street, where you work, where you play, where you work out, whatever it is. There's people there that need a touch from the Lord. I guarantee you there's someone there that will not be moved at all by a hundred bucks, but by an act of kindness that we you take this money and use for can be a huge, significant moment in their life. You know them, they're around you. We're asking you to pray, we're asking you to look. We're also asking you to use this. This is very significant, listen. We're not asking you to give it, we're asking you to use it, meaning it doesn't count if you leave here and give somebody a hundred dollar tip. It's not what we're asking you to do. It's the easy way out. We don't want you doing that. We want you taking the $100 and the first person you see, you just give them $100. No, 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 no. We're asking you to ask the creative God who created the universe to give you a creative idea of how to use it. Right here, standing right here at the end of the service, a lady came up, she says, I'm visiting this morning, never heard anything like this. I love to bake. I'm gonna go home this afternoon, get the stuff, bake cookies for everyone on my street today and go give it to them with a gospel track. I said, praise God, she gets it. Like we're asking you to, to take a meal to someone, to go buy groceries for someone. As we started to talk about this in staff meeting, one of our staff members said, there's a widow that lives two doors down. I've never even knocked on her door. What if I went and knocked and said, is there any way I could serve you? What if we bought flowers or planted flowers or did something in someone's yard? What are you doing? You're acting out the gospel. You're displaying the gospel in a practical, seeable, visible way. So many ideas begin to come up as we begin to discuss that. I, I thought about the man that I talked to you about last week. His wife died. And all of a sudden, his neighbor's wife died. 
and he began to think maybe God could use you in that neighbor's life. And so going to the neighbor and giving him a hundred bucks doesn't do much, but taking the hundred bucks and buying him dinner and getting him a Bible and say, hey, what if we just meet and talk about this? That does something. So there's a creative God out there that wants to give you an idea you could have never come up with. We're asking you to use it to engage in the lives of, the pre- of people. Listen, you don't have to say this is from Prince. You don't have to say anything. You're just using this to step into people's lives as Jesus did as a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're just asking you to do something. And then the last thing is this. We're asking you to report, to tell us because we wanna hear testimonies. So we want to stimulate something new in you. We want as a regular part of your life, you to be praying and looking and asking God, how can you use your resources and what God has given you for his kingdom? And then we want regular testimonies we want to hear. And so going live today in about 30 minutes is going to be something on the front page of our website. You click on there, it's got facts and all kinds of questions and answers. It also has got a place for you to give your testimony because we want to celebrate all that God is doing through this. You see, we could have easily just taken $70,000 and done a big event, but when we give it back to you, now we're doing thousands of events for the kingdom of God. Now listen, I know some of you are not gonna wanna take this. A couple of reasons. Number one, uh, you got plenty of money. You say, I don't need the $100. Pastor, why didn't you just ask us to use our $100? The reason is, is because I don't think you'd do it. I'm just being honest. Some of you would have. Right, because, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to take $100. And you may have done it or may or not. But uh, there's something that feels a little bit more sacred about the church's $100, doesn't it? Like, it gets serious real quick. One of our staff members said, Pastor, what if I, like, spend most of it and then I got, like, $13 and some change left on a cabinet? I'm afraid to touch it. Like, I can't figure out what to do. I said, oh, put it back in the offering. I don't know. Just, like, he's, like, afraid. Like, I don't, I, don't know. I don't know if I want to touch this. This is church's money. Well, that's exactly how we want it to feel. Like I'm looking forward to at lunch today, going home and on the table where we eat every Sunday afternoon, putting this right in the middle of the table and say, all right, there it is. We're just gonna leave it there. And I trust my kids. We're just gonna leave it there. And we're just gonna ask God to show us something incredible with this. This is is significant. This is our money that we're giving back to you in order to stimulate the growth of the kingdom in our church. So in a few minutes, we're going to ask one representative from every family. Now, this is where we differ from the government. My family doesn't get $700. We get 100, right? Listen, every family, every single, every college, let's do in the tabernacle, every college student over here, our college students want every one of you to participate. And listen, if you're a guest today, we really want you to do this with us. We would love it. There would nothing be just more joy than you to participate. If you'll just commit to doing these things, to praying and looking, we want you to join with us. And some of you are saying, well, I don't know if I want to. If you're a member and I see you and you're not standing up, I may call you out by name. Because <laughs> we really believe that these resources, which we were gonna use for missions, are gonna be better used in your hands as you seek to do what God wants you to do with them. And you know what fires me up even more? I just, Psalm 67 is so deep with me. As God blesses us and we bless others, God continues to bless us. I'm absolutely confident that as we put this into your hands, God will continue to bless us, provide for us in every way. I just can't wait to see how God moves in your life with your family as you seek God. Listen, a burden is great. But a burden only accomplishes anything when it's put into action. I'm gonna ask Ryan and the worship team to come out 
In just a moment, we're going to have you stand and we're going to sing a little bit. But let me just say this. The goal of this is not to be the end of something. The goal of this is to be the beginning of something. What I mean is we want this to start something new in your life. What if you discover that if you'll just live this way, you could do this all the time? I think you're gonna be incredibly joyful as you see God use you and you get ideas. Imagine what this invests in your kids, in your family, college students and those around you. What if they hear about this and they can't imagine what it's like to be used by God? This is bigger than just the moment. This is about God stimulating you into greater things. If you're at home watching, if you'll just stay till the very end of the live stream, I'll talk about how we're gonna get these funds to you. But for those of you here and in the tabernacle, here's how I wanna start. One representative from every member of our church, every family, I want you to stand right now. I'm gonna call you out if you don't. Stand right now. If you're a representative from your family, one of you, just stand. Guests, we want you to do the same thing. We really want you to participate. So I want you to stand as well. One representative from every guest, college students, we want you to participate. The reason we didn't tell you this was coming is we didn't know how many college students show up today for a hundred bucks. We want you to participate and be involved in this. Guest, it really is in our heart that you'd be part of this. We, we would love to see you do this. So here's what's gonna happen. Our men are gonna come forward and they're gonna pass out these envelopes. Ryan is gonna sing over us a song, which is really our prayer. So once you get the envelope, be seated, pray, worship as we have this sung over us. Men, why don't you come pass these out? And as you get one, you can go ahead and be seated.